0: What's happening, world of podcast listeners? This is the Wong Notes Podcast. I am your host, Corey Wong. On today's episode, we have Sean Hurley, legendary bass player, currently crushing the LA and international scene. He plays with cats like John Mayer, Ringo Starr, Annie Lennox. He had a band called Vertical Horizon, and he even played with Alanis Morissette. You, you, you ought to know this cat. All right. Incredible wisdom in this episode. For any of you folks who are side players playing for another artist, this is a treasure trove. I'm not going to waste any time here. Let's hit it.
1: All
0: right. We're all in search of gear all the time because we're guitar players. We like gear. Okay. Musicians in general, they call it gas gear acquisition syndrome, if you will. Now let's say you're a little gassy. Okay, sorry, that was bad, but I had to. I got, I got one product I want to suggest: a Stratocaster. Now, hey, 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 come on! That seems like the most basic suggestion, but I'll tell you what: Fender's making some dope instruments right now. I've been playing a Highway One Stratocaster for the last, I don't know how many years, but I did get this new American Ultra Series guitar. It's really awesome. I mean, it just is. And I wouldn't be telling you this unless I actually thought so. you probably seen me on their little ads. They're popping up in your algorithm, which I can make an educated guess on because you're listening to a guitar podcast. So there you go. And I'm not the kind of guy who normally uses a humbucker in the bridge, but this guitar, the humbucker is amazing. It's got this coil tap system where you coil tap it and it splits into a single coil, but it doesn't do that thing that a lot of other coil taps do where It just gets quieter and thinner because it's gone from a humbucker to a single coil. It's got something built into it where it compensates for that, which I love. The other pickups are the ultra noiseless pickups, which are great for session work because you're not getting all the buzz and noise in the background, and especially when you're just playing quiet. Or if I'm on stage and I don't turn my volume off, I don't get all the same amp buzz because of the lights around, whatever. Great pickups, classic strat tone, bubbly warm top end it's got the bite it's got the power that strat is dope great guitar check them out they got if you play bass hey tell you what you better believe i got that ultra j bass to get my Jocko rocco on dumping away these 16s all right you're here for the interview let's get to it John, dude, thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. It's an honor to be here. Well, a lot of the people that we are interviewing are guitar players, and I have some bass-specific questions for you and some approach questions. So the first one would be, because a lot of people that are listening are guitar players, can you tell me, what is the biggest mistake that you hear guitar players make when they pick up a bass?
1: Uh, it's, It's usually just the touch is wrong. And... They're not committed to it or they're thinking about everything that they could do with a guitar and it's all right there on the bass. So you could play all kinds of amazing notes, except often overlooking the easiest, hey, man, just lay down a root note with conviction and boom, there we go. Well, everyone would love you more.
0: I love that. What do you think is the biggest difference in role between the guitar and the bass? What is a mindset change that a guitar player could take?
1: It's so tricky, because it, it, it depends on the genre you're in, and you're doing, you know, what what task are you trying to accomplish? But if you're trying to make a groovy bass line that people are going to get into, if you mute everything but the bass and the drums, then usually it's just commitment, and you've got to dial in, like, a simple line. I think there's so much access that guitar players have to what else could be happening above that root note that they often just get you get lost in too many options too much improv too many permutations on something where bass players often it's like man come up with a great idea and stick to it and then three minutes in if the song is still going then change and it's usually it's like vocabulary guitar players don't have the vocabulary of bass. It's just simple stuff, simple conversational stuff that prevents you from even speaking a foreign language. But that's what it's all about.
0: I dig that. That being said, the approach on the bass, playing root notes versus playing lines versus melodic parts, do you have a go-to on when you do one or the other? And within that, if there's some go-tos on what to do, what to look for playing root notes versus lines versus melodic parts? Yeah.
1: It starts with number one, what song, yeah, in terms of approach of like what, how to not just play the simplest thing and and be boring, but also give it the right amount of spice and pepper, what kind of music are we playing? First of all, figure out if, if it's instrumental music, you jump to these other options quicker. But if it's a song with a vocalist, the first thing you're doing as a bass player is listening to what is this song, how... How melodic is the the melody of the singer? Are they kind of static? So then I'm going to do some stuff to help flesh out the song. Or are they doing... Are the chord changes? Like, is it a three-chord song? Is it an eight-chord song? That usually dictates, like, what is needed from me to make the song not be limp and undynamic. It's trying to fill these gaps. And sometimes when you got new guys playing a song... And you might go for something, it doesn't matter what instrument you're on. If you step out and someone else has already stepped into it, you start to have that conversation with yourself and go, all right, they're doing more, so I don't need to do as much. Or, you know, until you get familiar with the vocal melody is, that first pass for me, if I don't know what's coming, I got to lay low and look for my opportunities. The first thing is let's lay the foundation, build a frame flesh it out, no mistakes, make sure everybody knows where the chords are changing, make it feel right, make all the emotional moves of the song that the chords dictate. And then if there's that gap where like, God, there would be beautiful if there was a little line here, or there'd be, if things aren't too melodic, then maybe I'll call upon the bass to be a little more melodic. Usually this stuff is like, what's the genre? Are we beatlesque? Are we heavy? Is this Who's taking the lead on this? Is there a soloist? Do I have some interplay with some instrumental section where I want to give a little bit of life to? It's it's all these subtle little things, but it's you know we're talking about a line or a melody. You might be filling up only two beats, but it can be a game changer.
0: So I'm kind of hearing you say a big part of it is just listening to what the focus of the song is and then building around that, kind of slipping in when you need to,
1: yeah, it, it right. And sometimes that is... It's like, this is a conversation. I, I learned it a little on the job, like all of us. Like, you don't have to be a mind reader. And the couple times when you show up and you got new players and maybe I stepped into something, I find this ha- tends to happen more in a rehearsal setting where we've learned the songs, we know what we're doing, and now because we're playing live, we might be leaning into it a little differently or stepping out a little more. And there, there's times... It doesn't happen much in the studio, but but the same thing could happen where two people step into the same hole and there's only room for one foot. Yeah. So, and that's usually you you're looking for an artist or a producer or somebody who's in charge to go. Hey, I like what that does. So can you lay down and let this guy take it, or you know what? Let me have a bass melody there, and just being open to this is uh, involves being able to communicate with the people you're playing with to listen, to know the song and, and when we're talking recording, you've got to learn it pretty fast. One pass, two passes, you're starting to figure out, okay, can you sing back the melody? Can you could you tell someone else who just walked in, hey, the song goes like this. I think that's an undertaught skill set that certainly bass players never get to it. Like we're never being told, Hey, what are the lyrics? We're never being asked. Hey, what are the lyrics to the song? What, what is the the bridge phrase? Like, can you sing the bridge of this song to me? And if you want to play music with other people, that awareness I think is so amazing. When when you can, and I've only done it in the last ten years. Where the first ten years I'm just trying to nail the chords and blah blah blah. Then I'm going hey this music is awesome. I like it. I'm going to sing along to it. I I found myself singing along to songs I've known for years as I'm playing them, and I've just gotten better at going, ooh. I, I've even heard songs that I've recorded and gone, wow. If I had been listening a little closer, I would have maybe changed my little melodic run because I would have grabbed something that had been hinted at by the singer. But I was just thinking like a student and just grabbing, okay, it's G major, I got some great juicy G, B, Ds, I can do a little something, McCartney in there, whatever. So listening and actually you know, processing it, and then it's the art of the improv, like can you hear something, and then play it back and have a conversation. You can apply it to pop music too, as a bass player.
0: I take that. Moving over from session to the live thing. When you step into a live situation, There's an album that's been done. There's a hit song. There's recordings that people love. What is your approach to playing the original parts, the original bass lines versus doing your own thing, interpreting the way that an artist might have grown since the recording came out? How do you approach playing the original stuff versus doing a little bit of your own thing? Well,
1: I've just done it. So I've got a a pretty visceral feeling for it right now. Usually you get, the word from the artist, like, hey, blah, 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 and we're doing these songs. So it's pretty easy to go, is this song, has this song been recorded a year ago, six months ago, or are we talking about a song from 20 years ago? Usually that can help you decide, like, how, how note for note am I going to be? And then some songs, like, I had to learn Vultures to play with John Mayer, and that had been recorded. And what I did is it just kind of, did a little cross-analysis. Like If someone doesn't send me something to learn from a live setting, I usually look it up on YouTube to see who else has done this before, where did they drift from the recording, do I like it, do I think the song would be served better by honoring more of the recording, or in a song like Vultures, it's clearly kind of improv in a group setting, recorded sounds amazing. Then every time it was played live after that, it was played a little differently. So then you go, all right, the the reins have been loosened. It's not like you have to play note for note. But then there are songs where you go, hey, that song sounds so good. It was recorded so perfectly. I just did a bunch of fill-in dates with Squeeze, and because of the time period and their genre, new wave in the 80s, like those bass lines. The verse line was the same in the first verse as the second verse, and maybe had one permutation in the third verse. So, when I went to listen to it, and I heard the live recording that they sent me, it's like, this is a note-for-note situation. So, I wrote it down note-for-note, was prepared to play it note-for-note, show up at rehearsal, and they might go, oh, you can feel free to take some liberties here, or we run it down and I played it note-for-note, and they go, I loved it. You know, usually you also get your marching orders from what are they sending you to prep. If they only send you an album version, you kind of go, hey, this is this is all I got to go on. But that's why I do the little extra research with YouTube. Usually, you know, everyone's recording shows. And if, if this band has played before, if this artist has played before, sometimes I just do it to check did the arrangement or the key change. And I know, you know, a lot goes unsaid when you're in pro world, where they go, hey, we really love you, whatever, you get the gig, you audition, whatever it is, they call you up, you get the gig, and then they tell you, these are the songs we're doing, and maybe they guide you to a Dropbox folder with the live stuff. But what I did with Squeeze was, they sent me, all they sent me was a live recording, Mm -hmm. which was great, but I wanted to know what it sounded like in 1983. So I went and grabbed the recorded version, then I went and listened to the live version. There'd been three to seven different bass players in the interim from then, and so I figured, hey, let me see where, how far have they drifted? Has this key changed? What's the same? What can I pull? I tend to, to like to and have been praised for doing stuff note for note, just because when I hear a song that sounds perfect recorded, like, I just want to honor that, and I I love it to be able to Do that. And then I have human limitations where I may just be drifting about because I don't have the same, you know, licks and vocabulary that whoever recorded it did. So any improv things might be my own. But it's just a balancing act. And for me, because, you know, it's like when you get praised for something, you tend to do it again. And that's because I've experimented. I was like, oh, with Mayor. I learned the the recorded version, then I checked out the YouTube, and I even found, oh, they they modulated on the outro of that song. That's not in any version, but it's on the last couple days of to that tour, so at least when I show up at rehearsal, I go, hey, are you guys modulating at the end of that, or it just happened with Squeeze, we're doing the song Black Coffee in Bed. I played it with them in September, and it was what it was, then this time around, they sent me another live thing. Oh, we've changed a few things. I listen and I hear they're going to a double time gospel outro on this song. So we didn't, I don't even know if we ran it. I think we just ran it once in rehearsal. When it came to that part, they had forgotten to tell me, but because I did the homework like we're all supposed to, when it came to it, I just fell right into it. And they thumbs up and smiles. That's the kind of stuff. If you have time to do the homework, I encourage yeah. everybody to do it, even if you're creating more homework for yourself, because being aware is the, the the name of the game, and every artist I've ever worked with appreciates your level of attention to detail in their music.
0: Totally, and I would imagine that also if you're coming in, First time working with an artist, it kind of eases them to know what kind of person you are, what kind of professional yeah. you are, and yeah, just those things where it's like, oh shoot, the MD didn't tell us we're doing two modulations. Exactly. You're like, oh, I, I got it. Right. You all of a sudden put yourself in a completely different class of musician, yeah. Just by your preparedness.
1: Right. I have been. Yeah. My my appreciation level has gone up immensely. Because of that, where they don't even know what they forgot to tell me. Yeah. Because for a lot of artists, they're just living in their own world day after day. Even if the song is a new one, they've played it many, 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 many times. So, as you're coming in new, you want to try to get up to speed. And every time I've done the extra bit of work, like you're saying, and I've seen my friends do it, yeah. the love that is shared and the 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 confidence that... So, That also, that goes into like rollover minutes from the old days where when I do make a mistake because I did so many other things right, they're so forgiving and they don't care. And it's like, you know what? We're all human. Everyone makes a mistake. But if you kind of go in unprepared and blah, 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 and the confidence isn't there, you start making two or three mistakes and then they're like, do we need another rehearsal? Did we pick the right guy? Yeah, Do, you know, it it really goes a long way. And I've heard, I've met some dudes where they, I guess there's different philosophies, but some people don't expect to listen or learn the songs until rehearsal, and that came as a shock to me. Now, nah, man, and I'd <laughs> yeah. seen it done, and I was like, wow, I was like, this is insane. Yeah, you know, I don't. For me, I don't know. I don't know how that concept ever got passed down because everyone has limited time, and with budgets and everyone's you know budgeting days and hours and what's it going to cost to rent out SIR to rehearse and this and that. You show up and you know it, you're not getting paid to do this extra homework, but it is so valued. And I think ultimately I've probably worked days, weeks, months years longer as a result of that little bit extra hour of homework that I did in preparation to then put the artist at ease.
0: Well, yeah, and then you also get the reputation of being the guy who's always reliable, and then you're in a situation where somebody got sick or they lost their passport, (laughs) we need a bass player to, to come over to Europe with us, Right. the flight leaves tomorrow... Sean's the guy. He'll show up prepared. He'll learn all the music. He'll know all the versions.
1: Right, and, and and I've I've heard it from other people. It's like, oh, this drummer, this guitar player, they, you know, they came in and they nailed it. And you want that reputation. So everything you do to to fortify that doesn't matter the instrument. If you can do that, you are you. That word spreads, and you don't even know, but it's spreading around like, oh, they crushed it, they killed it, and it might bear fruit two or three years later. Yeah,
0: I love that. And it's also, it allows you and the artist to be able to play less mental defense about the thing and just relax into the music and relax into what's happening.
1: Right. And it, you know, for me, that's the joy of it is when, and I don't mind doing charts. It's like, if you limit my time and and the pressure is is high, then I'll make charts and if, if you know, I see a lot of iPads on stage, and I never mind it. But if I can play from an area of confidence, I prefer that. Totally. To, you know, any any doubt, it's like oh god, we you know what that stress feels like on stage, and it's just it's terrifying. It's like walking a tightrope, and then when you, you know, I've I've had somebody once say I was just filling in for two days. This is a local L A gig. And I played the gig, and I had charts. This is before the iPad revolution, and I, you know, we nailed it. We had charts, and people had computers going. You know, it, it the, the music stand blended in on stage. I didn't think it looked yeah. weird, but they, that th- we had. I was going to do two gigs with them, and for the second gig, they asked, "Hey, would you could you memorize the stuff?" I just couldn't do it, and it was like a fifty dollar gig. Yeah. You know, it's like I, I don't have time. I, I can't. We're not going on tour. This isn't a life changing gig, so. I went and I read my charts. The gig was great. Then another time, the gig came up and I couldn't do it. And someone else went to play bass. And they, uh, the word I heard from the keyboard player later was like, "Well, we asked him to memorize it, and because there's limited time to practice and rehearse and everything, he did he couldn't memorize it, but." It turns out we would rather have someone reading charts and play the right notes than have someone without a music stand play the wrong (laughs) notes. Yeah.
0: How about that? Well, what I always tell the younger musicians as well is that you might be the best musician in the room and you might think that your talent can get you through it. But if you don't know the songs and everybody else does, you are now the worst musician in the room. You're
1: the worst. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And the opposite is true where if you feel like you're the worst or the least capable musician, whatever, in the room, the amount of preparedness that you have can actually carry the quote-unquote better musicians through the gig. You will be much more respected and you'll be able to carry yourself with a different kind of confidence.
1: Yeah, and that way you are the reliable one that people start to turn to and they're looking at you when, oh, I can't remember how this ends. And that kind of pillar of strength Especially if you're in the rhythm section. Yeah. That is so valued and that will allow you to just work with everyone that has heard of you and hears about your, hey man, you know, like there's everyone has their limitations. Doesn't matter how amazing you are, you have limitations. So if you fortify those limitations by having these great, you know, work ethic, great personal skills, I always. Try to bring extra stuff, extra pencils, extra paper. I used to carry, and I still do, I've got extra cables, extra IEC. Like, I've been at gigs where someone's like, Oh God, I don't have the power cable to my amp head. And I like, they turn to me and go, Hey, Sean, you probably have three extras. And sure (laughs) enough, I've got a couple. Yeah. Because it just, it's like, it behooves you to go, Hey, anytime you've seen something narrowly. Uh, mitigate a disaster. Prep for that la- next time. Like I've, hi- I have guitar strings hanging around, and would have them at the studio. One time at my studio, I-, I left some extra straps there. I wasn't there, but Ry Cooter was, and he broke a string and didn't have any. I'm like, oh, just go into the file cabinet, grab. I got some nines and some tens and some elevens in there. Just you never know, and this comes with age and just yeah. like man you never know when you're going to be a hero to someone cuz you got a capo. Yeah. I once had a slide <laughs> that I gave to the guitar player in Coldplay because they were at a gig and I was playing it with somebody and the guitar tech I heard him go, "Man, we we oh, we don't have a slide." And I happened to have one cuz one day I was like, oh, I should buy a slide cuz maybe I'll use it."
0: A lot of slide bass. Yeah, it, yeah. It, a it's, a, it's bass a big parts. call, you know,
1: because there's fretless and then there's slide bass. It's like, <laughs> it's just a one level above fretless.
0: Yeah, and it makes you such a, such a bigger asset too on all those things, whether you're the guy that has some extra stuff around and has that, or it's the guy that you can always count on to be like, hey, is, is there an extra push on the second verse? Yeah. yeah, 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 it's there, but it's only the first half and it's only on the second verse. You know, if, if you become that person in the band... That's such a uh, a great position to hold, and also, I mean, with that, there there becomes some responsibility that people could say, like, "Oh, that's not fair that I'm the guy." But if it's one of those assets I, right, that you have,
1: right? If if well, I think it, everything gets easier the more you do it. So yeah. by becoming like that's who you or I are naturally, and then when you do more of it because it is rewarded, you find yourself going, "Oh, this is." This is good, but then now I've memorized, or I've memorized the little subtle details of like, oh, that push and blah blah blah. It's so much easier for me to remember that stuff because I've yeah. made a twenty-year career of going, oh yeah. Where is what's different about this? Oh right, it pushes only on the second chorus. Great. I mean, there's one song that I just played with Squeeze, and there, it's called uh, Another Nail in My Heart. So there's just one time the whole progression just happens. I think it's four times. And there's only one time where it pushes one, you know, the, the, the one chord pushes only once. And it's the second half of the solo. When you come back around to the progression, it pushes that one time. And because I know that and it's easy to remember that every time that song comes up and the first time I played it and the drummer's looking at me to let me know, hey, this is that one time and I've been doing it for 20 years and, and I nail it. It's like, oh, great. Now we, we smile at each other at all these subtle moments, because it's like, totally. I got it, I got it, I got it. Yeah. And it's fun when it's just, you get better at it. It's so much easier to do when you've been doing it for 5, 10, 20 years. And you usually figure this stuff out when you're a student in class, yeah. like whether it's academics or even music. If, if you have whatever your strengths are, people tend to notice, and maybe you're the kid that people copied your homework, but... The approach or the mindset I would take is, I don't mind who copies my paper because I am benefiting myself first and foremost. I'm doing the work. I am, you know, provided you're not turning in something and then everyone gets in trouble for cheating. But just saying, it's like, yeah, I listened to the song. I know how it goes. I'm happy to share my knowledge because it's my knowledge and no one can take it away from me. I'm happy to share.
0: Yeah, and the reward of all that work is that moment that you share with the person in the band who says, oh my gosh, you have it. And then you have you it. You nailed it. And you guys exactly. share a moment. That is a that is a fun thing. I'm doing right by my craft. I'm doing right by my job. I feel good that I'm in service of this band and this song and just the craft of being a musician and a bass player. That's cool. Yeah.
1: And, and it makes, you know, this is where all those stage moments, which tend to be, you know, Several hours, I don't know we're talking 12 hours where you're waiting around to do the thing. you just have more in common with your fellow musician and and you know the the whole goal it's, it's it is to be enjoying yourself with your your fellow mm-hmm. man, have to be loved, to be appreciated. you know I I always fill up when I just get appreciated and and my hard work is noticed. and I always notice that in other people. it's like, man. It just, you know, I've got kids, so I realize it's like little bits of praise get you through every day. And that makes it, you apply that to, and you felt that as a musician, that's why you're willing to go play a crappy club with your friends. It's like, I don't care. I just want to have that feeling. I want to be with my guys. I want to throw down. I want to, you know, try to lift it up to the rafters, because it's the same feeling when you do it like that, that you do at Madison Square Garden.
0: All right, folks, this is a fun conversation. We got to pause for a second. I told you about the Stratocaster at the beginning of this episode. Now I'm here to tell you about that American Ultra Telecaster. That thing is dope. All the bite, all the crunch, everything that you want from rock to country. I use a Tele for that Prince rhythm sound. It's great. And the American Ultra right now is my axe of choice. Okay, let's get back to it. I want to shift back into some practical bass yes. and music things. So obviously the bass player drummer locking 101 is the bass and kick connection. But there's there's two sides of this that I want to um approach and and hear your hear you talk a little bit about. One is attacks and one is releases. So on the attacks side of playing, a lot of people will consider time feel, do you feel it right on the grid? Do you feel things a little behind, a little ahead? Of course, certain genres and certain songs call for certain things. And of course, a drummer is, I guess, first and foremost, going to be the one dictating right on the grid, playing a little behind or ahead. And then the other musicians around kind of fall either there. They have a different level. Everybody has a different level of awareness of that. How do you approach... When a drummer is playing right on the grid, behind a head, can you talk a little Let's just first half, let's talk about the attacks side of things. When you hit the notes, how you uh, approach that. And then at the end of it, uh, if you could talk a little bit about releases. A lot of people, especially what I notice about bass players, the ones that have my favorite grooves, it just feels like the releases of the notes are always in the right spot. Right.
1: And that's this is all into the subtle arts of, you know, what is feel? What is what makes music feel good? What is this? Yes. But I did a lot of study before the grid was a visual thing. So a lot of the, you mm-hmm. know, what you would hear, this is what you'll have to do. And then you go into record onto some tape. And so you're, your eyes are closed and you're trying to go, what what's happening when I'm feeling like I want to land with the kick? And then when I what I discovered for me, my global setting before I start to change preferences is just to be a smidge behind where the kick goes so that we we don't uh, you know phase out each other is the way I, I sort of visualize it now that I've seen it. But every time I've recorded something, I go, oh that that sounds really good and then I get a chance to look at it it's always, and I've had my drummer friends go, I like it when you play eighth notes because you're just a little behind my kick so that we just go in a nice big poof where, and it doesn't matter, this is, doesn't matter the tempo of this, this is just boom. And it works with whole notes and half notes sure. where, you know, I was counseled by younger, when I was younger, but working with people to be, I'll oh, lay it back a little, lay it back a little, or hey, I like that feel. And it always it was always something on the other side of being rushed and nervous. Yeah. So tapping into that and trying to execute that repeatedly took takes a little bit of effort. And when you can start to see it, you it's great when you go, oh, that felt funny. And you look at it, it's like, ooh, I know exactly why that felt funny. Cause I was early and everything else I was doing was just a nanosecond behind. And I'm I'm talking, you know, samples like this might be shifting something, nudging, you know, between 10 and 100 little little samples here. But it is for me great even playing with something that's gritted, even a drum machine. It the bass feels awesome and it you hear it with the full tone that you're chasing by being just a smidge behind. Just a smidge. Yeah. But I've played some of these tunes. I mean, a lot of this, I've only toured with X number of guys. I probably only played with eight drummers live in a a meaningful setting as an adult with, with this kind of knowledge. I went from playing with Mayer, with Steve Jordan one tour in April, like we had 13 days off. And then the next drummer was Keith Carlock. And they couldn't be more different in where they... Apply the beat. It are both are amazing, and it's like now you're getting into hey, which which flavor of coffee do you prefer? You know, which which dark roast do you want this? So, I I was able to kind of apply the thing like hey, when Steve's playing, he's a little bit on the backside of things, so I need to lean in and be a little more of the nail it on the, you know, my version of putting it on the grid, where when Keith does it, he's more that guy who's been on the grid, so I can push it back a little bit to give it the same overall feel where nobody's rushing, everything feels relaxed, because as someone leans in, I can lean back just a smidge, or if Steve's leaning back, I got to keep it so that I'm propelling the song in a way that doesn't, you know, Pull us back into. If you lay it back too much, if if everyone's laying it back, and you can hear this when Questlove on one of those uh, D'Angelo songs, I gotta. It's probably the first tune. Titles escape me. He's playing as the click, and then it's the backside that the bass gets to lay on. If the drums and the bass all went back the song is going to slow down noticeably in BPMs. Right. So you have to have that conversation. And this is the awareness factor. I feel as a bass player, it's the job to assess what the drummer is doing. Because the drummer has so much more of the train on the tracks, moving things along, even the tone of his snare. If he's got a deep snare, he's going to dictate, hey, what does this feel like? Bass can do a little bit But bass does not drive the ship in the way that the drums are capable of. If you have a weak drummer, then I might go, hey, hop on, baby. We're going for a ride. But generally, it's like, assess. What's the drummer doing? What should I do? If he's leaning forward, I'll lean back. If the drummer's leaning back, I'll make sure that I'm aware of that so I don't pull us into, oh, man, we started at 105 and now we're at 100 and it, it's you can see it but also these the more you spend your time closing your eyes and getting feedback like it's hard to self-diagnose in the heat of battle we've all hopped up on stages and we're like yeah you know the police are the classic example like they're playing so much faster but i've been the guy like this feels normal or you you roll a, a loop that you recorded to and you're on stage you're like this feels so slow but it's it was ninety six when we recorded it. It's playing back ninety six. But oh my God, this feels slow. So it's hard to self-diagnose, which is why the more time you spend recording and putting it where you feel it and then listening back and, you know, it's it's all about yeah. training. It's like touch and the dynamic of it. I think the perfect marriage based on my experience is, let the kick dictate, like, where is that thing? Yes. That's the version of the grid, even if he's a little behind. Totally. And then just putting the bass where it feels sweet, it's always just a, a split second behind in terms of the way the tone and everything reacts to the ear. I I think that's the perfect balance of it. That said, you know, there are times where you got to, what, what's happening in between the syncopations, that yeah. might be the one... And the three, and maybe in between, you gotta lean a little bit one way or the other in order to make that feel correct. Depending on, you know, this is all listening keenly to what the hi hat or the right hand is doing, to see where you know kicks can be laid back, but hi hats can be sort of placed. This is where, to me, just listening to the drummer and and trying to see what is his foot doing in relationship to his snare. Yeah. It's it's kind of a never-ending journey. You know, what you're how deeply are you able to listen? Cuz I listened to a recording of me at 22. Mm-hmm. I thought I was dialed in and was just destined for glory I was playing with some guys. We all felt like we are we are doing the good stuff. We would play these bluesy things, a lot of 12-bar stuff. I heard a live recording of us. We had the crowd going nuts playing a bar somewhere. I start the song. I like my little groove. It's a Maceo Parker kind of James Brown percolating thing. Drummer comes in so behind me, and we just, neither one of us adjusted. We didn't listen. We're just, we played the whole song like that. Like we didn't, we weren't capable of hearing ourselves the way now. It's like, if you play a funk riff and the drummer comes in and he's not feeling it the same, the whole band tends to shift to where like, oh, we're gelled now. But it takes a lot of years of practice.
0: Yeah, I love that you brought up the nuance of big beats versus the subdivision. And then also just paying attention. Like, I I hear a lot of young Players right now getting cute with the time feel. Oh, it's 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 gonna be hip if we just lay it way back and then everybody lays back, and then it's just dragging. It's like, no, 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 that doesn't feel good. You're just slowing down. <laughs> I know. And I, I love that you talked about how yeah. okay, if one if if somebody's doing this, one of us needs to kind of be the anchor to kind of keep the pulse of the thing going. And that's what I found kind of separates it from. From it working and feeling good, and 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 feeling—I don't know—like like it works versus feeling. Sometimes you say, like, "Oh, I get what you're trying to do. I, I hear what you're totally. trying to do." And you do. Of course, none of us want to be the person that's trying to do the thing. You want to be doing the thing. And I think one of the things that separates people from doing the thing and trying to do the thing is having the understanding of that nuance. Yeah,
1: and that's again, this is that subtle art. It's like voodoo there. But it is it's it is the syncopations. You're saying it. I'm I know it's all the in-between stuff because maybe the drums where is the kick hitting? Are the snares on just two and four? The kick could be hitting on just the one or, or something. So it's all this in-between stuff you have to account for of the overall feel. Yeah. Then to to finish the back half of your query about the releases, I got a major education when I came to LA and started recording as to what the, what the release, when do you release what that does to the feel? Mm -hmm. So it's all tools in the toolbox to go, all right, what is, what do I want this to feel like? Sometimes cutting off on the twos and fours. If you're playing something that, you know, holds and you maybe drop where the drum hits or something, or just being aware of what, what, spot in the syncopation, are you muting your note if there is that? Are you coming off right on the one? Are you coming off on the and? Are you coming off after the 16th note? Yeah. Is it, you know, sometimes you use your body to figure out what feels right. You know, you, you breathe in and try to go, you, even when you're playing eighth notes, if it's one genre, you might want them to be even, but if it's a different genre, you might want to go, bump bu- 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 or, bu- 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 now, if we wrote that, it would kind of just look like eighth notes. This is where the human element comes in. Mm-hmm. What is your attack and release? How, how long do the notes hold? You, Everyone should experiment with it. It's like, hit a note. If you just play on beat one and beat three, you if you let it ring, one, two, three, four, or if you go one three one. Three, like, I've just done something sort of mellow versus something that could be funky. Yeah. And they're both just hitting on a one and a three. Yeah. But it's, hey, how long is that note ringing? And that's something where if you haven't spent a lot of time in it, like, guitar players might mess that up if they're just picking up a bass. Because they might try to be too funky when they don't need to be, or they may try to be, they may be letting the notes ring off in this, you know, like, oh, what? what are you trying what what are you meaning to do there sir what is the uh, what, what you, you've lingered a little too long yeah. <laughs> it, and and that stuff where this is just part of being a student you analyze what do i love about this feel what do i love about that oh i'm noticing he's muting the bass on every snare hit or only on beat 4 you know and, and the biggest place to do it in a tighter world is playing eighth notes like every genre sort of has their eighth note lope and trying to master those so that you can give that feel when it's at when it's right or yeah a lot of times I try to sneak in a little bit of the funky lope even if it's a rock song because when there's more going on on top you can't discern exactly what's happening with the bass but you just know it feels a little bit more propulsive it feels like it's it's uh, moving the thing along with more soul.
0: Yeah, and the thing about that is you could give written sheet music to 10 different drummers, 10 different bass players or guitar players, and what you're going to get is something quite different each time. You're going to have your favorites, you're going to have your least favorites, and a lot of that has to do with tone, touch, time, feel, all of that. I know. Okay, we've touched a tiny bit on gear. Are you one of those cats who can show up to a gig or a session, use basically any bass, any DI, any amp, and be cool? Obviously, we have our own proclivities towards the things we like, but are you one of those guys that can just show up and use anything?
1: Yes and no. I mean, there's a certain element where I I tested things out along the way because I've lived through a couple different eras of what, this is cool, this is cool, this is cool. Yeah. And enough has passed through of like, yeah, that used to be cool. It's not cool anymore. So along the way, and I, I had a couple... The, th- the through line through it all is if you can play and i always felt like if i can just play my ass off i can i will have different instruments dependent on what i'm able to afford and what i'm able to track down on eBay or what have you so sure. i'm trying to build my career when i didn't have the same gear that i have now and i i like to think it's like well what was the t- defining factor was what i did what I play, but there are a couple moments where, Hey, you play this instrument. They love you. They love your playing. The sound wasn't right. So I've traveled my own path of, you know what? I like tube amps. I don't, I won't tell anyone to rent, uh, something that isn't tubes. Like you can get me any tube amp and I'll be cool. If, you know, I go to the hotel cafe, I play through the 20 year old Pat, you know, uh, Whatever tubeless Mesa Boogie thing, and I make it sound the way I like it. It's great, but I would never, you know, if, if give me give me some choices and I'll I'll guide to it. But I I like being able to go, man. I don't need anything. I'll show up. I'll play any bass, and I'll make it sound like me. As a challenge, if if I can have my own bass, great. If I can have my own DI, also great. If I can pull this in, but I've, you know, I've played years through X, Y, and Z. And now I'm like, man, I don't want to play through that anymore. But the end of the day, it doesn't sound that much different. Yeah. There's so much tone in the hands. I've seen it from the guitar players. I've heard it from the drummers. Like, they all sit down and they all hit a snare in a unique way. And some you like more than others. But a lot of the gigs I've had to do... Have been, you know, there's some rental stuff. So I go, all right. In in the rental world, there's these three things. I'll totally fine. I can I can make it work. And I've I just like the idea of not as a bass player. It's like I can just plug in without. I don't need a compressor. All I need is a tuner. I can add things. I can add a little drive pedal in recording and you know give things more harmonic interest. But at the end of the day. What I've been doing just came off of a squeeze thing. I plugged right into a a new Fender Super Bassman. I went through a tuner and my Noble DI, and I liked the way it sounded. The sound guy liked the way it sounded, and the band liked my tone. Yeah. So, and it was minimal, you know, no headaches, no like Sean needs this, Sean needs that. Totally. I think as you go up the food chain, drummers, Guitar players, keyboard players, they have to be able to say, I need this. I need that. I need a Nord or I need a a DX7, whatever they're trying to pull off, get the sounds. If a bass player is a headache, I feel like that's a a strike against you. So I've tried to go, man, I can make it happen. I know a lot of guitar players. I can make it happen. They show up, plug into a Deluxe and bam. So I try (laughs) to emulate that. I
0: love that. That's great.
1: Well, as we close out here,
0: I have a few questions. I want you to give me your gut shot reactions for. For all the gear heads out there, we got a lot of gear folks listening. So, piece of gear, $20 or less. What's one piece of gear you would suggest people to get? One one piece of gear, $20 or less. <laughs> the
1: trouble is, I don't know if I've, I I ha- have it, but a clip-on tuner, you, I know you can get them for less than 20 bucks. Got to have yep. one cuz you never know. Just it's a throw and go thing. Always have it. Totally.
0: Okay, piece of gear around a couple hundred
1: bucks. Mm, let's see. This is for a string players or is this I, I, anybody? Cuz yeah. I, I think you should just have some as many cables as that will buy. 30 <laughs> footer, 20 footer, 10 footer, like yeah. stock up because having more is better than having one awesome one. What's
0: the one base that everybody needs to have
1: Third <laughs> 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 thing. We, we need to insert ding, P base. You got to have, it could be a squire. It could be a fender. It could be an off brand. You got to have that set up. You got to have the P bass split pickup in the middle. It's, it's all about placement and that's what gives you the tone. You have to be able to access that.
0: I like that. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being with us. Really appreciate your uh, wisdom and your time here.
1: Thank you for having me. As I said, it's just an honor to be here, virtually.
0: All right, all right. The P-Bass Advocate. I'm down. I'm down. I've actually never owned a P-Bass, and I need to get one. My favorite P-Bass is that Precision Jr. Jack Stratton's got one of those, Band Leader for Wolfpack, and Dart uses it sometimes on the records, and uh, it's Awesome. I love the sound of a P-Bass, and I like the idea of a huge P-Bass sound that is small in size. I don't know. I guess this now sounds like another Fender ad. It it didn't mean to be, but hey, I guess they'll take it. Anyways, thanks to Sean for being with us. Thank you guys for listening. I'm so stoked about this. This podcast is really fun for me to make because I get to learn a lot of new things myself. So I hope you guys are digging it. Have a great week. We will see you next Wednesday. Peace! (laughs)